first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Zoe, and today we're going to be talking with Disney Channel's Raven Simone and Miranda May on Raven's Bunked, Isabel Rose and Sienna Ongdong on Upside Down Magic, Ariel Martin, Trevor Torgeman, and Fulbright on Fam Jam, or Jane Satchappi, the director of Radioactive, Art Belt, founder of Comedy Central, and reviewing the documentary of Rebuilding Paradise. First, we'll be listening to Natalia's interview with Raven Simone and Miranda Ming. Hello, I'm Natalia Jackson, reporting from Kids First, and today I have the honor and pleasure to speak to Raven Simone, who stars as the charismatic Raven Baxter in City Channel's family sitcom, Raven's Home, as well as Miranda May, who stars as the Jolly Lou in Disney Channel's American comedy series, Bunked. It is time to get excited because Raven About Bunked is coming to Disney Channel, the ultimate Disney Channel crossover. I am so excited, and it is premiering on July 24th. I cannot wait. I really can't wait. Honestly, I'm telling you the truth. I really can't wait. <laughs> Miranda and Raven, how are you both? I'm great. I'm so happy. How are you? You are killing the game. I'm, yeah. I have to watch your show more. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. I'm doing so excited. Um, what was that? I'm doing awesome. What am I doing? I'm so excited, but I am so excited. <laughs> no, I love Raven and Bunk, so I can't wait to see what they do together. First and foremost, Miranda, I mean, there's no doubt that this Disney Channel crossover will be intriguing and fun. I mean, two awesome comedy television shows for families to watch. That is a package deal. But I'm wondering, and I'm sure the viewers can agree with me on this, how did the Ravens home cast end up at Camp Kikiwaka? I mean, what is going on here? Can you share with the viewers oh. how this crazy and wild crossover all began? Yeah, of course. Um, Basically, the Ravens home cast decided to go on a little road trip and uh, their GPS um, failed them. <laughs> and they end up at Camp Kikiwaka and they meet myself and all of the characters that you guys know and love. And they get um, wrapped up in some crazy journeys for an hour. Wow. I can't wait to see it. all in one hour. How is that going to happen? I don't even know. Oh, we made it happen. It happened. And, and hopefully you want more so we can do another one. Yeah. Oh, yes, I definitely do. And the viewers can agree with me on that one as well. And along with that, Raven, you were not only in front of the camera, but you were also behind the camera as an executive producer. How will this production bring something fresh for the viewers to watch? I have to admit, the writers and EPs of the show and Disney Channel, there were so many talented people involved that, you know, I, I didn't have to say much. They understood what each character needed in order to really be themselves and the jokes and the fun and the, and the antics all meshed in so well. And uh, I was great to see the process and, and be a part of such a big event and to see how everyone juggled their job. It was super cool. Um, I, I, I got to have fun and just be an actress at this moment and, and, and see the interworkings, but that was thunder. It's fine. Nothing's happening. You get <laughs> um, it was it was, it was a blast. It was it was thunder and it was lightning. Hey, I'm doing an interview, Mom. Jeez. It I, sounds like you're still at Camp Kikiwaka over there. Honestly, I am. I am. <laughs> I'm. It's summertime. Wow. What do you think I'm doing? I gotta run this camp. <laughs> it's crazy, yes, definitely. And related to that, Miranda, this will be the first Disney crossover in about five years since the Monsterverse Spectacular Weekend crossovers in 2015. And I have to ask, what was the most rewardable or exciting part about being a part of this Disney Channel crossover? Um, well, it was very rewarding to be one of the shows chosen to do it. Um, I know that they have a bunch of shows on the network and they could have chosen anybody, but uh, they chose Bunked and they chose Raven Raven's Home and it was it's exciting. I mean, it's cool to make history because anytime something like this is done, it is a mark in history. And uh, to do it with your friends along the way is awesome. And uh, the whole experience was fun. I, I think that's the best word to describe it from a personal standpoint was it was really fun. So I hope it's fun for you to watch. 
Yes, we know from the trailer that it is going to be a big adventure. And Raven, I mean, Camp Kiki Wonka will not be the same. This is why they have to spice it up a bit with Raven getting lost from her GPS device, unfortunately, and ending up at Camp Kiki Waka. What message do you think the audience will take away after watching this on July 24th? I think they'll take away that it's always good to go on an adventure with the ones you love. I think they'll take away that it's always important to listen to your fellow friends, sisters, brothers, camp advisors, and anyone, because you never know where you can get good advice from. I think they'll also take away um, a sense of community and companionship and friendship and being there for one another. Uh, that's something that Raven's Home really likes to push. And I know that you know, Bunked shows that community effort as well within their episodes. So watching kids of all ages come together and tackle challenges in such a cool way can help any, anyone watching, you know, get through a challenge maybe on their own or with their friends. Thank you. <laughs> Lastly, before I sign off, I wanted to know, what are three words to sum up this awesome Disney Channel crossover? Raven, why don't you start it off and Miranda, follow behind her. I'm down, yo. Um, adventure. Uh, you know, road trips and snakes. Ooh, and pigs and slime and mm, a giant hole in the ground. Okay, now I'm I'm excited for this adventure. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking with me. That is it for now. I'm Natalia Jackson, reporting from Kids First. Make sure to check this out. It is coming very soon, July 24th, everyone. And be sure to look for this and other talent interviews on our Kids First website, our YouTube channel, and our weekly podcast. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you, Thank you for being you. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been listening to Natalia's interview with Raven Simone and Miranda May. Now we're going to move on to Natalia's interview with Isabel Rose and Sienna Augdog. Hello, I'm Natalia Jackson, reporting from Kids First, and today I have the honor and pleasure to speak to the stars of the upcoming fantasy movie Upside Down Magic, based on the New York Times bestselling children's book. I'm here with Isabella Rose, who stars as Nori Boxwood, and Sienna Agunan, who stars as Raina Carvajal. How are you both? We're doing really good. First and foremost, we have here Isabella Rose, you know, the African-American, El Salvadorian, Italian superstar in the making. You lead the cast of the new Disney Channel upcoming movie, Upside Down Magic. What can you tell us about your character, Nori Boxwood? Yes, well, I play Nori Boxwood Chorus in the new Disney Channel original movie, Upside Down Magic. And Nori is a very enthusiastic, optimistic, determined 13-year-old girl who arrives, arrives at Sage Academy ready to perfect her ability as a fluxer, which means she can turn into animals. But after getting rejection by Sage Academy because her magic is not like her other classmates, uh, she has to join the UDMs, where kids with wonkier and developed magic go to. And so Nori really picks up all the UDMs and says magic is magic. It doesn't matter if it's different. And they really are set out to prove to Sage Academy that even though your magic is different, doesn't mean it should make them outcasts. Yes, I love your character, Nori. I mean, she's so brave. She's determined to prove that she is nothing but different, but she is proud of it. And I love that. And I think it's pretty cool that you have those superpowers because you could not just turn into one animal. You could turn into like six in one. I mean, a cat and a dragon. That's pretty crazy. I would want that superpower. Who doesn't want it? Right? Exactly, right? <laughs> I, I, Nori turns into her mi mixtures of animals. Um, and he, her fa one of her famous animals is called a dritten, which is a half kitten, half dragon. And then Reyna here, her, um, she has some magical powers as well. What do you have, Reyna? Mm -hmm. Sparkle fireballs. You'll see that <laughs> in the movie for sure. <laughs> yes, I had the chance to view the movie, and they're pretty cool. It's like a, a right? big, yes, it's awesome. You I both have it. some pretty cool superpowers. <laughs> and along with that, Sienna, the Hawaiian native making headlines, and your showbiz resume is outstanding. Congratulations with all your accomplishments. Tell us about your character, Raina Carvajal, in the upcoming movie, Upside Down Magic. Thank you. Um, so Reina is cool. She's calm. She's very neatly pressed. Um, she's the type <laughs> of girl who um, needs everything orderly, is or always organized, you know, but um, she's very powerful. She's a very talented flair, which lands her in the honors flair class. 
However, she's very insecure with her power mm-hmm. and she, she, she always needs Nori to bring the best mm-hmm. out of her, you know? Mm-hmm. So as she is in Sage Academy separated from Nori in like a very highly competitive class, you'll kind of see this vulnerability that starts to uh, grow in Reyna. I definitely see that, you know, maybe Reyna has a little doubt in herself and likes the reassurance of her best friend. And I think that really shows the power of friendship. And when you guys first enter, I mean, I know when, you know, Reyna gets into the honors, it is a little competitive and trying to get the popcorn to pop. It's just a lot of things that go into it. And just yeah. having Nori, it's just the true friendship right there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely. That's, yes, that's one of the most, you know, powerful messages in the movie is definitely true friendship. I mean, um, I, I think especially in the world we are today with quarantine, uh, a lot of friendships are kind of separated during these times. And exactly how Nori and Reyna were experiencing the movie where Reyna does get accepted into Sage Academy, but Nori gets accepted into the UDMs. They're separated through this whole entire time. But they do make time to check up on each other and to be supportive friends, um, which I love. So I hope it does encourage, you know, maybe other friendships that are experiencing the same thing. Exactly. And... Related to that, um, Isabella, how was your experience filming with all the special effects used? I'm sure using your imagination and creativity helped. Yes, definitely. It was such an amazing experience. And it was also, I was also very anxious of how the, how all the special effects were going to turn out because, you know, of course we got sketches, but we never got to see the final product. Uh, So um, I really had to get my creative juices flowing because I had to imagine that there was a lot of things around me in that specific scene, but in reality, there was nothing around me. And uh, so I definitely have to give a huge shout out to our amazing uh, cast and our amazing crew for helping me acclimate myself to a green screen. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely have to applaud the both of you. I mean, you guys are very strong actresses being able to react to something that really isn't there, which is pretty crazy to think, but it's fun to learn about the behind the scenes as well as on set. And Mm -hmm. along with that, um, so Sienna, I was wondering, how are your similar or differences with your character really helped you enhance the role of Reyna? Yeah, so Reyna and I are very different in the way... Reyna, I think, is much shyer than I am. I have my moments, but, you know, I I feel like in order to bring Reyna to life, I had to bring parts of me out into Reyna. And so in the way that we react, there's certain things that are similar. Um, But I feel like we're more different in the way than similar. But we constantly strive to like better ourselves the next day as well. So I think that's something is we, we try to be as um, we try to be better than the person we were before, if that makes sense. I think that's where we, (laughs) other than that, pretty different. (laughs) I definitely saw that in the movie. Um, Thank you both so much for speaking with me. I had a blast. That is it for now. I'm Natalia Jackson, putting some kids first. Let's take a break. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus, the biggest, fierce dinosaur of all. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Zoe and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Disney Channel's Ravens Bunked, about Upside Down Magic, Radioactive, and next we'll be talking to Callista about Rebuilding Paradise. Hey, Callista, how are you? I'm good, and uh, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. So before we jump into this interview, I just want to know, what did you think about this documentary and what was your first impression? I thought this documentary was very well done. And, um, you know, I think it did a great job going over this incident. And, you know, overall, I felt it was a very emotional story, which, of course, makes sense given the topic of the film. But I think overall it was presented pretty well. That's great to hear. I think this is such an irony because it's called Paradise, but it gets completely destroyed after a fire that impacted California in 2018. So how touching do you think this documentary is? Well, I definitely think for me it is a bit more personal. I feel like there's a bit of a bias because I do actually live in California, and um, it wasn't during 2018, but it was during the 2019 fires where I did actually have to temporarily evacuate because there were fires coming close to where I live. It's n- it was nowhere near on the same level, but it was a very stressful incident, and I think that definitely impacted um, my perception of it. I think overall it is a very emotional story, like, even if you weren't, like, in California when this happened. But, like, um, I think that personally affected how I felt, but um, I feel like even if you, if you, even if you didn't live through an experience like this, if you have, like, um, a, fa- a long family history or if you've been in like the same town for you know all your life and you have like an emotional attachment to it I definitely think you are going to find this very touching. Definitely and I'm glad to hear that it can still touch people even if they were affected by this or not and it sounds like a great documentary. Um, do you think Rebuilding Paradise was truly engaging and would you consider the filmmaker had the right footage and do you think the footage was properly used in this documentary? I think there were definitely some instances where, you know, uh, this documentary stood out a lot to me. The uh, I think the best example would be the first eight or so minutes where it's just a full montage of, like, camcorder footage of the actual fire. And there's a lot of emotional moments in this segment. And, you know, this is what the film Cold opens on, and then the rest of the film is going over the aftermath. And I think that is definitely a very uh, engaging hook, and I think that is probably one of the best moments in the film. I feel like there are some moments where um, this film kind of takes a bit of like, I feel like it kind of goes a bit, I don't want to say downhill because I feel like that's a bit too rude, but I feel like there are some points where it's a bit lower in terms of like what's happening because there were a lot of, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that happened in the aftermath and I feel like it kind of, there are some parts where it doesn't really handle all of the topics that well. Um, I think overall it's pretty good, but there are a few moments where I was kind of like, I feel like you should have touched on that a little bit more. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, It's kind of a thing that documentaries have, but um, I also want to ask you, you, are all the facts in this film or documentary in chronological order? And was the narrative easy to follow or because of what you just said, do you think it was a little bit harder to keep up with everything that was happening? It was mostly in chronological order. The reason I, um, my issues mostly stem from the fact that it would sometimes introduce a like one of the consequences of the fire and then would kind of drop it, which to me didn't really feel like it had, there was a reason to drop it because like, you know, this issue is technically still going on because this only happened like almost two years ago, which is kind of a weird thing to believe, but like there's still a lot going on with this situation. And there were some genuinely really like um, pressing matters that it brought up, but it didn't really, deal with I feel like it was fine in terms of the actual timeline which because you know it starts out with the fire and then afterwards it mostly goes into 
um, the relocation stuff. And then towards the end, it kind of goes over some of the, like, it kind of goes over some of the issues with how the government handled the situation. But that was one of the things that it kind of didn't really give, like, a conclusion to. It kind of just had those scenes, and then it didn't really give an answer to that. And I'm kind of just sitting there wondering, well, then how do we improve from this situation? It doesn't really give any clear answers, which I definitely think is probably the film's biggest issue. Yes, that sounds kind of challenging to keep up with the film. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions, and we've been talking to Callista about the new documentary, Rebuilding Paradise, so now we're going to be continuing this interview. Well, you kind of already answered my next question, but you you do live in California, and I'm guessing you follow the story a little bit closer. And so do you think Rebuilding Paradise is relatable for general audiences, maybe people who don't have to deal with this at all, or other people who live in other parts of the world? I think... If you don't live in California, if you didn't personally experience this, or if maybe you weren't really watching the news at the time, you didn't really know about the situation, I do still think you can, like, follow this pretty well. It, it is mostly about the aftermath, which I definitely feel is where a lot of the bigger issues come in. And I think if you want to more talk about, like, oh, how the government handled this and the funding and some of the some of the problems that came up involving like how the fire handled the nature because paradise uh, seemed to be in like, there was a lot of like trees surrounding it. So it was very like in like a forest area, which I definitely think impacted the, the devastation in terms of like how big it was. And so I feel like the fact that it brings up a lot of problems, but doesn't really give an answer to them is kind of a problem. If you want to follow the story, I think if you just want to know more about like what actually happened and how people are doing afterwards, I think this does a good job in terms of that. But I feel like if you're interested in, you know, the economical side of it, then there might be a bit of a problem there. Yeah, I understand that completely. Well, for me, for someone who doesn't really touch into this very well, do you think that I would explain it? Well, because I don't watch the news ever really, but do you think if I watch this film or anyone like me, would they completely understand? And does this film go over everything that kind of happened with all these fires? It does go go over a lot of what happened. And um, I definitely think the fact that it has like testimonials from survivors, I think that definitely helps give um, a clearer understanding of what's happening. And, you know, they do show a lot of scenes in terms of like, they do also go over like the the town's history, which I think like, if you're interested in that sort of side, that definitely helps as well. I feel like if you just want like a general knowledge, this is a pretty good film. And I think it does help you understand the the devastation and how like impactful this was for a lot of people. So I think, I feel like it is good in that, in that area. That's awesome to hear. Um, I'm kind of excited to watch this now. It sounds really interesting. So what do you think is your score rating for Rebuilding Paradise and what ages would you recommend this documentary for? I would give it three out of five stars and would recommend it for ages 12 to 18 because I feel like this wouldn't really be a film you would show to younger kids. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Kalista. Thank you so much for having me. Let's take a break. I'm Zoe from Florida. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus, the biggest, fierce dinosaur of all. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking with Calista about the new documentary, Building Paradise. Next up, we'll be listening to Natalia's interview with Ariel Martin, Trevor Torgerman, and Full Wright from the new Disney Channel's Fam Jam. Hello, I'm Natalia Jackson, reporting from Kids First, and today I have the honor and pleasure to catch up with the stars of Disney Channel Smash Hit Family. I'm here with the co-hosts Ariel Martin and Trevor Torchman, alongside with choreographer and executive producer Phil Wright, a world prominent dance teacher who has worked with some of today's top recording artists. Let's dive right into it. How are you all? What's so great. I mean, you take it away, girl. Yeah, go ahead. I was like, holy. Come on. Let's go, Natalia. Let's go. That was phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. I really wanted to shine the spotlight on you guys. Wow. We want to shine it right back. Right that back to you. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Well, first and foremost, Ariel, there hasn't really been a show like Disney Fam Jam on Disney Channel before. For those who haven't had the chance to watch, can you share with the viewers what Disney Fam Jam is all about? Yes. Okay. So Disney Fam Jam is all about bringing families together to get up and dance. So each ep- on each episode, you'll see two different, completely different kinds of families from different backgrounds, different walks of life come together and get in the rehearsal space with Phil and learn some choreography until they're able to go through and pick their own music and creatives mm-hmm. and songs and dances and get up on the stage for their final performance and compete against each other to win $10,000 and a Disney Channel's Fam Jam trophy. What? Wow, $10,000, that's amazing. It's a great way to unite families through the power of dance. That's the way to say it right there. And yes, along with it, yes. And along with that, Trevor, I couldn't be more excited for you to host Disney Fam Jam alongside Arielle and Phil Wright. And I just have to ask, what's the most rewarding or exciting part about being able to be a host and see the dances firsthand right in front of you? Uh, one of the most, ex- I mean, it's all so exciting to be completely honest with you, but one of the most exciting things is getting to meet the families and watch them overcome the obstacles that they're facing. Um, like Ariel said, they all come from different walks of life, multi-generational, multicultural, and to see them bring that into their performance is amazing. You know, sometimes you get kids that are, they have so much natural talent. Sometimes you get dads that have zero talent, but it's just as enjoyable <laughs> to, watch, um, to watch them on, watch them, you know, overcome all of it on stage together. It really, truly brings everyone together. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Yes, I agree. I mean, it really is cool to see two different families coming from backgrounds of different and just dancing their way on the screen. All the spotlights on them and it's crazy. And speaking of their awesome dance film, you are so creative. I need to take a dance class or two because I, just like Trevor said, I have no experience whatsoever. Actually, Thank you. It's so encouraging. Um, yeah, but I do need a, a dance class or two. I was, I was wondering, how did you merge your creativity with the concept of the show? Uh, it, it all stems from the family. I, I really bounce off of what they really want and their vision and what they want to see come out of the, what their performance wants to be about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of different families give me that. And what you see at the big stage performance is what we really dialed down and tuned into during the rehearsals. So I kind of dig deep in within their emotions. I dig deep in within their challenges and really try to highlight those things and overcome those things during the process. And then that for, therefore, when we get to the big stage, they are really these remodeled superstars that we really, we really all want to see. So um, it's really cool to see. And I really, really bounce off of what they give me. And everyone's just so different. So that's really, really awesome. Yeah. And how do you navigate them based on their level of experience? 
Well, I mean, look, you know, Uncle Tom ain't got the steps sometime, you know, <laughs> and uh, but the the nephew of Uncle Tom may have the steps. So sometimes I have to kind of separate them, put them in the corner and put those two energies together. And I think that's what really uh, it's about is really coming together and really hoping to feed off of one another, you know, and that's what we all can do, you know, if we just set out the time to do so. You know, so I, I really, I really look to do that and um, it always works. So it's been a success <laughs> so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think it's a great idea, you know, separating them to learn all the dances and all the choreography is unique. One of my favorite things about Disney Fam Jam is the background. It's like it creates a cool new world for them. They get to design it themselves some super cool costumes. Yeah. I have to say that. And it just blows my mind because not only is a dance was creative, it's crazy, unique. They get to express themselves, but they get to pick the decorations, the costume, the way they want their hair to look. And that is so awesome. And to continue, Trevor, I mean, what were three words to describe Disney Fam Jam? Oh, that's a great question. I got to bring it down to three words. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Inclusive, Mm -hmm. exciting, Mm -hmm. and uplifting. Wow. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> I yes. think so, too. I, I see Arielle County like, mm-hmm, okay, that's all right. Mm-hmm, that's <laughs> I, I agree. You guys agree. <laughs> Three words I agree. Right. <laughs> I agree on that one. And Arielle, how is Disney Fam Jam different from all the other shows you've been involved with? Ooh. Um, I think just the messaging behind Disney's Fam Jam. Um. And the cool thing about Fam Jam too is that I've been in other shows, like other amazing shows that also have great messages. But with this one, it's real. Like you're not, nothing is scripted. Nothing is, okay, like go feel this way, go dance like this, go do this, go say this inspiring thing. No, this is, you're looking at real families and like when they cry, they're really crying. And when they're dancing and it's passionate, it's because they mean it and they feel it. Um, And you're looking at families who are non quote unquote traditional. And it's like, these are their real family, like real life. This is the real world that we're talking about. Um, and I think that's really um, special because you're diving into these people's lives who you wouldn't normally get to know. You wouldn't normally get to meet. Um, and you can be, you can learn about their obstacles, and the things that they've went through. Um, and it's really cool. Well, thank you all for speaking for me. That is it for now. I'm Natalia Jackson reporting from Kids First. Everyone, make sure to go check out Disney's Fam Jam on Disney Channel, Disney Now. You all have to go check it out. They have some super cool dances on there. You can learn a little something from there, just like I do myself. Be sure to look for this and other Kids First interviews on our YouTube channel, our weekly podcast, and our website. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye. See ya. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We were just finished listening to Natalia's interview with Ariel Martin, Trevor Torgman, and Phil Wright. And now we're switching over to Benjamin's interview with Marjane Satrapi, the director of Radioactive. Hello, this is Benjamin of Trice 40 for Kids First, and today I'm interviewing Marjane Satrapi, director of the new film Radioactive. So in your memoir, your graphic memoir, Persepolis, you mentioned as a child, you wanted to study chemistry and you looked up to Mary Curie. So what did you most admire about her? Well, what I most admire about her is her passion, is her focusness, is the fact that, you know, she has basically, she has the whole world against her and she tries because she doesn't care about that. She really wants uh, to do good science and that is what she manages to do. So yes, this is, this is the, most, the thing that I admire the most. So besides just being a fan and someone that you looked up to, what about Mary Curie's story most appealed to you as a filmmaker? And why did you want to tell her story right now? Well, the thing was that the title of the film, as you know, is radioactive and is not Mary Curie, the great lady. So yeah. it was because already it has been so many films that has been made about her. So that was very interesting because not only we talked, I talked about her, but also about her science, but also about the aftermath of her science, because her discovery changed the world forever. You know, the 20th century became another 20th century because of her discovery. So it was important to do all of that. And then it is other things, like how to make 
the invisible visible. You know, you have things like the radioactivity, atom, electron, energy, all these things they are not visible things, yet you have to make them visible. So at the same time, it's extremely challenging. And at the same time, it leaves me a big playground, you know, to create and imagine and, you know, like create a world that does not exist. You might have sort of just answered my next question, but how, what was your approach to kind of making the core science of this story accessible to audiences from a visual standpoint? But I think that everything in the world can be understood by anybody. You just have to use the right word and make it un understandable. So this is a big challenge because as exciting science is, is really barbaric to show it because it's, it's not something exciting to watch, but it's something exciting to do. So you have to make this something that is not exciting to watch, exciting to watch. So you have to find, you know, things like, what would I like, would, what would I, me as a person, what would I like to see? So what would I like to see? I would like to, to show it, but then you have to be accurate because science is factual. It's not a subject of interpretation. You cannot say, oh, I want to show it this way because it's more beautiful, but it, or it pleases me more this way. You have to be also focused on what you're doing. So I think it's really interesting when someone with a background and something else goes into filmmaking. So I'm curious, what are the parallels between penning a graphic novel and directing a film? Um, well, there is not so much parallel because making a graphic novel is a very solitarian work in which I was extremely comfortable because I'm a solitarian person. I really enjoy very much my own presence. So I like very much to spend time with myself and it's never a problem. Making a film is dealing with, you know, tens and hundreds of people. So it's a completely different thing. But I realized that actually I also like collaboration because as much as when you make a book, you know, a comic book, etc., you control everything. But with this control, you don't have the element of surprise because when the book is finished, I don't read my own book and I'm like, I'm never like, oh, how interesting is that? <laughs> this is very funny. I didn't know how funny it would be because I have controlled everything. A movie, not everything I can control, not everything, you know, I know. So at the end, I have surprises, you know, just by the actor proposing something that I have not planned. Already there, you have a surprise. So you have this element of surprise, which is really great. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the film and thank you for talking with me today. You can check out Radioactive coming to Amazon Prime on July 24th. This is Benjamin Price signing off. See you next time. Thank you, Jim and Benjamin Price. Bye-bye. Let's take a break. I'm Zoe and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus, the biggest, fierce dinosaur of all. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. 
Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking with some guests from Dish from the Disney Channel and Radioactive director Marjane Strathappy. Next up, we'll be listening to Benjamin's interview with Art Bell, author and founder of Comedy Central. Hello, uh, this is Benjamin Price reporting for Kids First, and today I'll be interviewing Art Bell, author of Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor, a memoir. You have two quotes that open the book, one from Will Rogers and the other from Mel Brooks. Where did you first encounter both of them, and why did you want to put them in Constant Comedy? Well, um, the Mel Brooks quote I encountered a long time ago. And the other quote, I guess I was looking around for a second quote that sort of said the same thing from somebody who wasn't as current as Mel Brooks. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to read the quote, so, uh, but the quotes both have to do with the fact that comedy is sometimes a little different from what we expect it to be. It's a little bit darker than we expect it to be. Um, and it's also something that comes in handy and in difficult times. I really like to kind of sort of segue you into what the kind of book is going to be. Um, so you have an MBA in economics from the Wharton School and a BA from Swarthmore in it too. What about economics drew you to pursue multiple degrees in it? Well, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting story. I didn't know anything about economics when I got to Swarthmore College. I took intro economics because it uh, was at the right time and I didn't have to get up too early to get there. And I found it very difficult, uh, so difficult that when it came time for my first exam, I failed it. It was probably the first time I failed a test in forever. I don't even remember failing before that. And so I said, wow, I'm going to have to recalibrate. And so I worked very hard on economics so I didn't fail another test. And pretty soon I started liking it. <laughs> and that's how I got into economics. Ended up taking a lot of courses in it. I was also in, I took a lot of English courses as well. So uh, those were my two interests, economics and English. Not to jump the gun or anything, but what sort of sparked your interest in developing a channel centered around comedic programming? Well, I was, I was interested in comedy since I was a kid. Um, and I watched as much comedy as I could on television. I read comedy magazines, Mad Magazine, uh, National Lampoon was a big magazine in those days. Uh, and I did some writing. I did some satirical writing of my own. We started an underground newspaper in high school. And I learned I like to write funny stuff. So I really, I really became kind of a student of comedy learning as much as I could about classic comedy and the comedians and the comics and who did what, uh, reading biographies and autobiographies. Um, and I, I uh, took my interest in comedy, in comedy um, with me throughout my life. When I got out of business school, I decided I wanted to work in television. And around that time, there were lots of new channels starting. And I said, why not a comedy channel? Why is there no comedy channel? And uh, I think that uh, I think that that paid off um, <laughs> in spades uh, by now. Well, it and paid off. I would it be took, remiss. It took a long time to pay off. It was very <laughs> very difficult to get it get it going. I would be remiss not to mention your participation in the Wharton Follies. Uh, can you explain briefly? what exactly that is and how did that sort of enhance your, your appreciation for comedy? The Wharton Follies is uh, um, something that the students at Wharton Graduate School do every year. It's a satirical review, it's musical, dancing. And the way I found out about it is when I first got to Wharton, I said, hey, is there a film and television course here or anything like that? Or a club, something? And the woman I was talking to said, no, well, not really. But there is this Wharton Follies, and a lot of the kids interested in television or theater gravitate to that. So you might check that out. And I did. And I liked it. I liked the people. I ended up doing some writing for that, comedy skits and, uh, and some music. And second year, I was head writer. And I found out that I was, you know, I knew something about comedy. I understood how it was written. 
I knew how to make it funny. So it gave me a little bit of confidence going forward. And you were talking about when you wanted to pursue a career in television, all these new channels are sprouting up, sprouting up and you went for HBO. So what lessons from your work at HBO were most valuable in establishing Comedy Central? Well, I'll tell you, the valuable lesson I learned at HBO is that in television, as, as in so much else, so many other businesses, research is critically important. Audience research. I mean, everybody knows, or a lot of people know about the Nielsen ratings, how many people are watching is very important. But what you think less about is that there's a lot of research done to find out what people want to watch, what kind of people watch what kind of shows, what people feel is missing on television, how people are reacting to certain kinds of television, what they find funny, uh, and just how they use television. So all of those things uh, came out of my experience in research. I used to go to focus groups, which is where you sit behind a glass uh, partition and watch people talk about whatever you're doing, which is unnerving if, you're, if they're talking about a show you did and you want them just to say, I love that show. It is the greatest show. Typically, they don't do it that way. <laughs> They'll tell you everything that's wrong. So research was very important to me. And uh, as I went into comedy, I realized that doing a lot of research was important to the success of the channel. And I also think you mentioned Nielsen. It is interesting how those metrics have sort of shifted now with the streaming, where like the ratings are a lot less concrete. Oh, it's, the, funny. it's funny that that's your take on it, a lot less concrete. When I started in the business, they used to have diaries, uh, with, which they gave to people. I think they still do that. They gave to people, and you had to fill out what you were watching when. So it was really mm -hmm. kind of the honor system. And a lot of people they figured out were filling it out at the end of the month, trying to remember what they watched. And often the diaries would come back filled out in crayon. <laughs> so that tells you what kind of attention was being paid and by whom. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking with the guests from the Disney Channel and Radioactive Director Marjane Strathappy. Right now, we're continuing Benjamin's interview with Comedy Central's founder, Art Bell. What bit of programming from your time at Comedy Central are you most proud to have been a part of? I think the biggest kick I got out of, uh, out of the programming is when we started doing live, uh, live coverage of political events. In 1992, we decided that we were going to cover live the State of the Union Address uh, by George Bush. And we got Al Franken, who went on to become a senator, who went on to become an ex-senator, as we all know. Um, we got Al Franken to do the commentary. And as the show was running live, we were running the live feed with Al's comments over it. It was very funny, and it was very interesting. And I think it was a precursor to what, you know, what happened with Jon Stewart on The Daily Show, which is people learning a lot about our government and about politics through, uh, through comedy. And I was just, yeah, I was about to mention Jon Stewart, like politics and comedy have become a lot more intertwined um, in the way it's covered. I so. think, you know, I think Jon Stewart was the big breakthrough. I mean, previously there had been some shows uh, in the, going back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there were shows usually weekly shows that look back at the week and did a comic take on it. But I think Jon Stewart really, really kind of set the standard because he uh, was a combination of very funny, but also very thoughtful and very serious when he had to be. Uh, it, you couldn't find a smarter comedian. It, it was really amazing to watch, to watch him work. Of course, he had a great team of writers too, which helps. Um, but I think uh, that was quite a moment in television history when Jon Stewart did what he did. Oh, absolutely. I was talking with my parents um, and my grandparents a couple weeks ago. That was, it, he built just such a significance to like every broadcast. My, not, my grandma does not watch a lot of television, but she watched Jon Stewart every Monday through Friday. That's so. a great thing to hear. Boy, he really did kind of cross all the demographics and really attracted a big audience. Yeah. It was good. It was really good. 
in the book, you talk about some of the com- talking about being in love with comedy um, in your youth, but talk about some of your heroes, Alan King, Richard Pryor, the Marx Brothers, etc. I'm curious, who are some of your the people you look up to in the comedy world today? John Mulaney, I think, is extremely funny. Um, Berbilia, the guy who did uh, walking, sleepwalking with me, I think is terrific. Um, I think those are the those are the two that come to mind. I think they're doing great work. I'm a huge fan of uh, the sack lunch bunch specials he did last year. I thought those were really yeah, well done. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. I'm curious what led you to write constant comedy and what aspects of writing it were most challenging? I started writing constant comedy, not to write the book. I just started writing stories about what I was doing as a kid or what I was doing at various times in my life. And I wrote one story about something that happened at comedy. And um, I got a lot of positive feedback from my writing group and, from some other people I showed it to. So I wrote another story and then another one. And then finally I had a lot of stories and I had a, the makings of a book. So by that point it was, it was really in need of shaping into a book with more of a story arc, you know, beginning, middle and end. And that's, uh, that was, I wouldn't say that was the hardest part of it, but that was, um, that was a, a challenging part for me having not written a 300 page book before. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you start well, somewhere and it goes up. I'll, I will yeah, say exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed Constant it. Co- oh, thank you. Constant Comedy is now available for pre-order, and it will be releasing September 15th. And I, I will say Price. I will say that it's also, if you want more information, you can go to my web, website, artbellwriter.com. We love a good plug. We love a good plug. <laughs> this is Benjamin Price reporting for Kids First, signing off. See you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, You can learn how to join our Kids First Film Critics team. Go to www.kidsfirst.org. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsworld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is sponsored by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for The Voice America and iHeartRadio. Today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus, the biggest, fierce dinosaur of all. I'm Zoe, reporting for Kids First. Bye! Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode, and tune in again next week.